She's about a lady in a parrot. Um, uh, this lady was uh, was was single. Uh, she was pretty. Uh, she was she's pretty lonely, and so she had heard that sometimes parrots can provide some. Uh, you know, just some, some companionship. And so she decided she was going to go down to the store and buy a parrot. And so she goes down to the local food, uh, local food, local pet store, and, and she buys a parrot. She buys all the, the cage and all the stuff that goes with it and, and takes it home. And she's really excited about this new thing that she's going to do because, again, it's a parrot. She's going to talk to her. And so she, uh, she buys the one that the manager says this parrot talks, and so he's done it before. So she's okay. So she gets it home, and she gets it all set up, and the parrot says nothing. And she's frustrated because she's like, I bought this parrot for this, this reason. And so she goes back the next day to the store and says, well, maybe I'm missing something. So she tells the manager, she says, hey, the parrot you sold me doesn't talk. And he said, well, actually, sometimes parrots like to have things to do. So he said, so buy him this little parrot ladder and put this in his cage. She'll have things to do, like climb up and down, and a happy parrot is talking to the parrot. And so you, you do this, and, and he'll talk. And so she buys this ladder, puts it in his cage, and he climbs up and down and looks happy and says nothing. And so, again, she's like, wow, this is frustrating. So she goes back to the store again the next day and says, hey, she says, I, you saw the parrot. You said he talks. He, he doesn't. I put the ladder in the cage. Like you said, he, he does a lot of talking. What's, what's next? He says, well, he says, parrots also like swings. Maybe that parrot just likes a swing. And so she, he said, I got a little parrot swing here for you. And so she bought the swing, put in the cage. The parrot loved the swing. The parrot loved the, the ladder. And still nothing said. So now she's, is, again, she's frustrated. So she goes back to the store the following day and says, I've done everything you told me to do, man. I, I bought the swing. I bought the ladder. And there's nothing. He says, well, I've seen this before. He said, actually, some parrots are very, very social birds. They only talk if they can see another parrot. So what you should do is you should buy a parrot mirror. Okay, and put the mirror in the cage, and he'll see himself in the mirror, and then he'll say, that's another parrot. He'll start talking. So she said, makes sense. She buys the mirror, puts it in the cage. This parrot is happy as could be. He's climbing up ladders. He's swinging on swings. He's looking at himself in the mirror and still says nothing. And so she's, uh, now she's so mad, and so she goes to bed. And she says, tomorrow, I'm going to take that thing back, and I'm going to give that manager a piece of my mind. And so she goes to bed and gets up the next day, and there's her parrot swinging and climbing and such. And, and she says, finally, he said something, but then he fell over, and he died instantly. And so she said, that's weird. And so she takes the whole thing, brings, marches into the store, and says, I want my money back. I want it back for everything. You sold me a parrot that doesn't talk. I did a bottle of stuff you told me to buy. Nothing. He said, she said, actually, he finally did talk, but then he died. And so the manager said, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. That's terrible. I'll say it another way. She said, I don't want your parrots anymore. And he said, well, what did the parrot say? She said, that was the weirdest thing. She said, all he said was, don't they have food at the store? And then he died. And that was it. Right? See, that's, that, like, some of you saw that coming, some of you didn't see that coming this morning, but, but she was equipped with everything. 
This lady had all that she needed. She had all kinds of stuff and all kinds of things, and she tried and she worked and she put the stuff in the cage, but yet what she needed the most was to fill her hunger, and she didn't have that. And that was the problem all along. You see, what more than we can imagine, this whole concept that we're working through as a church for these first few weeks of the year comes down to things like this. When it comes to prayer, when it comes to our lives, we put all kinds of gimmicks and and things, many of them spiritual gimmicks and things, into our cages. But what feeds us, what changes our lives, we sometimes forget. And so that's what this is about this morning. We're going to turn today to Ephesians chapter 3. We're focusing in on this this passage, this, this, this chapter, very closely, especially the last half of the, of the book of Ephesians 3. I'm sorry, the chapter of Ephesians 3. We're focusing in a lot on, on this chapter. It's so good. Because what this contains is not just fluff. It contains meat. It contains deep, hard, wonderful, good things here. And so we're going to walk through that especially. And we're going to kind of end this series on the name of the series, which is, uh, which is based on, uh, ch- on chapter 3, verse 20. And it says this. It says, now to him who is able to do what? Who is able to do immeasurably. More than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. This has always been one of my favorite verses of the Bible. I love this verse. I love it because what it says, what it promises, what it speaks. And I know for many of you, it's the same. You love this verse. You you know this by heart. You, You can quote it. Maybe you have some picture with this in your house or whatever. But this is a big time verse. This is the end of the chapter. But when we ask as Bible scholars and as people who are walking through this this story, what does it take for the Apostle Paul to be able to write a verse like that and believe it? Because I don't know about you, I can ask God for a lot of things. I can think and dream up a whole lot of things. And, And most of us know that prayer is a big deal. Yet fill our prayer lives with mirrors and ladders and swings and all kinds of things, but things that aren't really feeding into our prayer lives. They're just nice accessories that are there, but not meeting the deep down need. This is what this is all about. Because we talked about last week, nothing will strengthen your prayer life like solid theology. Now, some of you are like, oh my goodness, theology, are you kidding me? No, it is critical And not only is it critical, it's a wonderful thing. You see, when we have solid theology, which is what Paul begins to lay down and lays down in this book of Ephesians, Paul leads us up to verse 20 by laying down solid theology because when we understand and know God for who he is and what he is and what he does, it changes our lives and it changes our prayer lives. The truth is, many of us might struggle with prayer because we don't understand how massive, how huge, how wonderful, how good God is. Yeah, we'd say he's good. Of course we do. No one says God's small and God's powerless, and no one says that. But it's like trying to describe a waterfall to someone who's never seen it. You try to describe the Niagara Fall to someone who's never been there, you're like, it's this big, huge waterfall. It's really powerful. It's really good. And you're like, yeah, whatever. Until you ride the maid of the mist up to the edge of the waterfall and you sense and experience and feel the power of this thing, you don't know what it's like. 
Even videos, even, even wonderful videos that, sh- that, 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 that show it's like, they still don't do it until you experience it. This is much like how this works through, through prayer. See, so, so Paul talks about this, and last week we kind of began on this road. And so verse 12 in review says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. He says boldness, it says three things. Boldness, we have boldness. We don't have to come up with all kinds of these and thous and crazy long words and such. We can enter God's presence boldly. Why? Because we have access. So he's promised us, right? He's given us access because we're family. And all those things make us confident. Confident not in ourselves, right? But confident that he hears us. And there are some things we have to have settled in our lives before we're going to sit down and we're going to pray or else it's going to feel like we're throwing a bunch of little things like mirrors and ladders and swings in our cage when really what we need is we need meat. So we continue today and we find here, as we pick it up in verse 14, some incredible stuff in these next three, two verses. Let's listen here, verse 14, for this reason. What reason? Well, again, because we have boldness, access, and confidence. For that reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches. We're going to focus today on just these verses. You're like, is there enough there? Oh, yeah. There is so much right here today because out of these three verses comes three basics of a life-giving prayer life. Like, that's a lot of words, life there. Well, yeah, that's the kind of life that you can have when you have a life-giving prayer life, a great life, a lot of life. There's three basics right here that Paul gives us. And again, remember, Paul is leading us up to the end. When he says, this is the kind of God you serve, who can do things that are immeasurably more, you can ask, think, or pray. See, that's more than just words. There's something deep there. This is how he gets there this morning. The first one we look at here, he says, Paul says, for this reason I kneel. So Paul starts off the bat showing us that the first basic that we can consider today is the word reverence. You know, we, we miss out on this sometimes, don't we? In a relaxed, dressed-down culture, we miss this idea, this concept of reverence. Now, for some of you today, this is very interesting because I'm wearing a Vikings jersey talking about reverence. You're like, this doesn't make sense because isn't the guy talking about reverence supposed to wear a collar or at the very least wear khakis and a nice button-down shirt? Well, let's listen here this morning. You see, this is a big deal what Paul says, for this reason, I kneel. Now, it may not be as big of a deal for us as it was for Paul because the truth is it was very uncustomary for a Jewish man, especially a Jewish man that had some clout, which Paul did, to kneel in prayer. Now, for us, we might do this sometimes, but they didn't do that. It's not customary. For example, uh, it's shown us here in Luke chapter 18 in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The accounts of the Pharisee stood to pray, right? That's how it was. It wasn't just because he was a Pharisee. It was pretty uncommon for a Jewish man to do this. And so Paul here says, for this reason, I kneel. It's a big deal. It's a thing for us to understand this morning. Now, the Bible gives no rules on praying. No rules on posture while praying. 
be honest with you, we find the Bible, there's people that kneel, there's people that stand, sit, there's those that ride, are riding, you know, there's those that are doing all kinds of different postures as they pray. Paul's not laying down a rule here. It says, if you pray, you must kneel. Or if you pray, you must stand, or you must sit, or you must do this, or you must do that. Paul's not giving us rules here. Paul is showing us his heart that led him to be able to say, verse 20, he begins to show us his heart and says, for this reason, the reason being God being this amazing one who we've give, who's given us access and, and boldness, this one who's there, for this reason, I'm compelled to kneel. See, it's deeper than just a rule. It's in his heart. And why? Because he reveres God. Paul talks about reverence later in the same book in verse uh, 21 of chapter 5 when he says, we submit ourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. In Hebrews, he talks about how we should offer to God our acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. The word reverence is, the, I'm sorry, the word for Hebrew is, is the word for, the word for fear in Hebrew is the word yer, and it means to be fearful or to be afraid or to revere. Now, if you grew up in church for a long time, or maybe you have or have, but you're like, I'm supposed to fear God? I mean, I've heard about this before, but really, this is, this is really what God wants from me. He wants me to fear him and be afraid and be scared of him? Well, no, that's not what he's talking about. There's three kinds of fear. There's reverence, there's healthy fear, and there's unhealthy fear. Now, healthy fear is a kid who touches a, a hot stove and realizes that that's not a good idea and has a healthy fear of a hot stove. Unhealthy fear is, is a person who says, I can't, or, or I, I, I won't, or, or they're, they're afraid of something happening that's not there. That's not based in truth. That's based in fear. It's, it's, it's taking faith and trusting God out of it. That's not healthy. And then there's reverence. God, Paul talks about here that this word, this idea, this, this thing is important. Now, I remember when I learned about reverence as a child. I remember uh, being, I don't know how old I was, probably uh, young, mid, or young middle school, older, older childhood. But I remember going to see a, a dam as a child in Michigan. My, we were visiting my, my grandparents and there's this, there's this big dam there, and it's beautiful, and it's, it's, it's awesome. So we visited this place, and I remember being a kid standing on this, 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 like, perch right over this dam and looking down seeing the water just wash over the side of this thing. It was awesome. There's water, you know, splashing up at me, but I can feel the, 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 the ground underneath my feet moving. I can feel, like, this, this, this water just surging forward. It was this awesome, incredible experience. But it was also awesome because it was dangerous, right? When you're a little boy, things that are dangerous are fun. And so that's how I saw it anyway. So here's this, this thing that has this power and all this, but it's not, it's not only just powerful, it's, it's beautiful, it's, it's dangerous, and it's awesome. And it requires this level for us to stand and say, wow, that's a pretty amazing thing right there. See, this is, this is the spot at which God calls us to, to approach him. It's not a matter of, God, I'm afraid of you, you're going to, whatever. But this is a matter of understanding that God is a consuming fire, as Paul says. And yet, 
pours out grace on, and mercy on us. It's remarkable, and it, it's an, an ability that keeps us well in our way. It has not to do with a building or stained glass windows or a three-piece suit. This is a firm and understanding and un, settling of my place. That my place is that God is awesome. God is amazing. God is incredible. And could God ruin everything with his finger? Absolutely. God is a consuming fire. And yet that same God pours out on you and me grace and mercy. It's not a matter of what you wear or the windows that you, that you worship in. It's not a matter of those kind of things. It goes far, far, far. That's why Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knee. Not because I have to, not because it's customary, not because this is a thing that you just do when you come to church, you bow your knees because you're reverent. No, it's my, his understanding of God was such that he understood who he was, he understood his place in the world, and that brought him to a place of reverence this morning. But see, it doesn't stop there because if you don't have this next piece, if all you have is reverence and not number two right here, you're going to struggle. And so we continue in the text. It says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. You're going to see a theme running throughout this whole book about family and father and all this kind of stuff, which again, for us, it's like, okay, but for these people, this is a giant, massive deal because religion is not an issue of just, you know, structure and, and, and windows and, and large and such. Religion is a much deeper thing. It's a, it's, it comes down to, to family. It comes down to the word father. This next part is we walk in relationship with God. We walk in reverence and we walk in relationship. It's amazing what Jesus taught his disciples. And one thing he taught them was a thing that they caught on far before they ever asked him about it. And so they understood Jesus knew the Father. And you're like, well, of course he did. He's God's son. But the way Jesus communicates and talks about the Father is a remarkable thing, so much so that the disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus responds, of course, and many of us know this verse by, by heart, at uh, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, verse 2 of Luke chapter 11, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now, I know, don't know about you, but I oftentimes kind of blow by this, this, this first part of this verse to get to the good stuff, right? Like, okay, Jesus is showing them how to pray. Let's see the, the finer points of prayer, but we kind of blow by the beginning to get to that part, which is a good thing because he gives an amazing example of prayer. But how he starts out his prayer is absolutely important for us to understand. When he says the word Father, reveals to us the person, the, the, who Jesus was. You see, it was because of the Father that Jesus did anything. That's what he says, right? That's how he talks. That's the basis for his miracles. The basis for all he did was to bring glory to the Father. Now here's a little pause for a minute, but if you need a miracle in your life, 
Look at the example of the New Testament. When Jesus did a miracle, he always did it for the same reason. He did it to bring glory to the Father, right? He said that time and time and time and time again. If you need a miracle, the miracles don't come because it brings glory on me or on a person. It brings glory to the Father. Amen? Side rant off. Let's continue here this morning. You see, Jesus talks about this often. See, the Father he showed is not distant, but very close. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? He talks about how the Father is not disconnected, but the Father is intimately involved. The Father is not indifferent, but the Father is loving, generous, and merciful. Now listen here, believer. If you're a believer and you've accepted Jesus into your life, he's your Savior, he's your Lord, but you don't understand the Father heart of God, you don't get this portion and this part of who God is and, his, and how he senses and how he feels about you, you are going to struggle in prayer. And I say this because I have been in ministry now for a number of years. And during that number of years, there has been many times when I have come across believing, strong, Bible-believing Christians that have served God for longer than I've been alive. But yet approach God with this idea that God is mad at me and God doesn't like me and, and God is disappointed in me. And when I come to the Father, that's how I come. I come because he's this disappointed, far off, distant, disjointed figure that's ready to throw a lightning bolt at me when I mess up. Church, that is not the God of the word of God. It's not how he is. Like, well, how about the Old Testament? We'll get into that some other time. That's not the point. You see, this throughout the Old and New Testaments, a thing is revealed about the Father heart of God that you have to hear. Church, God is delighted in you. We don't have time to go through every scripture that shows that. We'd be here all day. Uh, but I want to show you one this morning. Zephaniah, Old Testament, by the way. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. It says this. It says, the Lord your God is with you. Listen, the mighty warrior who saves... He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice. That word rejoice there is massively important. He'll rejoice over you with singing. That word rejoice in, in the original language is the word soothe. That word soothe is an interesting word. It, it means rejoice, but they actually had a different word for what we would call Minnesota rejoicing, right? Now, Minnesota rejoicing is if I caught a big fish, hey, I caught a big old lunker at the lake today. That was pretty great, right? Let's go, let's go fry it up. Okay, in your heart as a Minnesotan, you are excited as could possibly be, right? But you just didn't show your face that, right? Or your body. You're like, that's just how we are, isn't it? That's not this kind of rejoicing. See, the word soothes means rejoicing with evidence in your body. So what this is talking about is rejoicing with dancing. So this passage here says that God dances over you. Why? Because he loves you. Because he no longer rebukes you. He rejoices over you. He delights in you. That's the kind of God that you serve. You see, when you come to God, he's not angry. You come to God, he's rejoicing, church. Come on, somebody. That's what the kind of God that you serve. God has awesome attributes. See, ones that will compel us to reverence. 
But see, here the deal today is if you don't have relationship, if you don't understand this relationship and this concept of who God is as far as he's a God who dances over us and such, then God is this mean, distant, angry, unknowable being. And when I come to prayer, I come to prayer not because he rejoices over me, but because he makes me come and he holds this out over my head that if I don't pray today, my life's going to stink. And so you better pray because if you don't pray, it's all going to go bad for you. And see, it's no wonder why we don't pray when that's our mentality, right? You have to have this settled in your heart. But if you don't have the idea of reverence settled in your heart, all God is is your big buddy in the sky, you're like, God, you're awesome. Woo, slap me some skin, bro. You're a man. You're the man, right? And, and, and this guy, God is just this, you know, kind of buddy that you kind of hang out with. And you sit around and you drink beer. And you're such like, hey, God, want a beer? See, that's how people think sometimes, isn't it? It's so wrong. It's so disheartening. It's so awful. It's not based on the word of God whatsoever. You need to have both. That's why good theology changes your prayer life. Because if God's your buddy in the sky, then when you have trouble, he's just as messed up and just as frustrated and just as awful as you are. That's not the God you serve. You serve a God who is, who is, in, who is in need of reverence. Not because he needs it to fit, to fit his ego. Because it's like describing standing in front of a, of a waterfall. Until you're in his presence and you've seen, you've seen those things in your life, it's hard to describe. The word of God is in, the word of God reveals who he is as a God that's like that church. But not only does the word of God reveals that, reality reveals that. You see, without relationship, he's mean, he's distant, he's angry, he's annoying. Without reverence, he's your big buddy in the sky. You need to understand both. That's why Paul's leading us here. Why Paul can say at the end, this God that I ask can do exceedingly abundantly above what I ask or pray. And say that and actually mean that this morning. And it comes, as you continue here, he says, for this reason, as the band comes, I kneel before the Father from whom every family on heaven and earth derives its name, I pray that out of his glorious riches. This last one as we close this morning is resources. It wouldn't do much good to pray to a God that doesn't have the resources to back it up, right? Wouldn't make much difference. And of course, if I said, does God have resources? You'd say, sure he does. Absolutely, God has un unknowable resources. And you'd be right. Yet for many of us, when we pray, we come to God's presence, when we pray and ask God for things, we come to ask God for these things, not being settled on the fact that he has unlimited, as it says right here, glorious riches at his hand. You see, you're praying and asking God for immeasurably more. We can ask for a matting and corn. You, you, can, you can do this, but can what I ask for touch the tip of a storehouse of his resources? If when I ask him that, does it touch the tip? Well, of course it doesn't this morning. But here's the deal. For some of us, we pray and we ask God for things. If you're going to pray effectively, if you're going to have an exhilarating prayer life that you enjoy, you have to settle this in your heart before you can go anyplace else with prayer. What I'm going to tell you this morning is so critical and so important. If you're going to have an exhilarating, wonderful prayer life, 
you have to have this settled first. Because so many times when we come to God, we pray God, we pray to God for things. Lord, do this, do that, do whatever it might be. We have the answer in our heart already settled, and we say, God, this is what you're going to do. And when God doesn't answer it like that, his, his, his goodness, his riches, his power, his existence, I mean, you name it, those things are on trial in your heart. What you essentially say is, God, I believe in you if you do this for me. Now, no one talks like that. But you don't have to because it's in your heart. That's been in my heart before too. I've said before, I'll say it again, so, so much of my life changed when God spoke these words to me. Steve, when you pray, you put me on trial. I will not be put on trial. Because for so long, I was like so many people and I prayed and I said, God, I want you to do this, 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 and this. But deep down in my heart, the result was what I said. The result is what I will, if you do this, God, then I'll believe. And what's so funny is that there was times he would do that. And I had a quick, I forgot pretty quickly. And then I go back to say, well, God, do this. And if you do this, then I'll believe in you. See, I, I put God on trial. God will not be put on trial. See, if you don't have before, you can do anything else. Settled in your heart, like Paul talks about here, that God has these, these, these glorious riches. That there's nothing you can ask for that touches the edge of his storehouse. When I was a kid, I watched this cartoon, maybe you saw it too, the, the, the DuckTales, where you remember, if you remember seeing uh, the, the, the Scrooge McDuck would jump in his big vat of money. He'd swim around his money. Uh, it was just awesome. You're like, ah, oh, I want that. You see, that doesn't even come close to the resources God has at his fingertips. And if you want to see God do exceedingly abundantly above, the Bible consistently teaches us that before any of those things, you first settle that in your heart. How do I know? Listen to what Hebrews chapter 6, or 11, 11, 6 says. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You see, some people say, that's mean. Why would God do that? Because God will let you take your own way as far as you can take your own way. And if in your heart you say, I can do this without God. I'll pray. Lord, I'm going to ask you for the results, but I, whatever you answer, that's, I can still do it myself. God will say, okay. Or you might say, God, I expect you to do this. He does something else out of his sovereign power, which we'll talk about in a few weeks. You know, something else out of sovereign power, and you say, how dare you, because I asked for this, and now I got this? If that's your, your thought process, God will say, yeah. Son, daughter, I love you. I dance over you. I, I rejoice over you. But you don't have all the answers. I do. See, settle this in your heart first. And then when you ask me for things that are indescribable, Glorious, amazing, I'll do them. You know why? Because you've settled in your heart that I'm the only one for you. Not your friends, not your mom, not your dad, not your kids, not, never, not, not your spouse, not, not, not yourself. Me. God's been working like that for every see. Faith is the currency of God's kingdom. This slaps 
in the face of our culture. Our culture says money, looks, talent, ability, education, you know, whatever. You insert yours. That's the currency of success. And in the word of God, in the kingdom of God, it is opposite of that. It's faith. Faith is the currency of heaven. We struggle with hearing God's voice in prayer because we struggle with this before we struggle with all those other things, right? Let's be honest this morning, right? We do. You want to grow deep? You want to believe God for immeasurably more than we can ask, think, or believe? You want to see God do things you never even thought of? But when he answers, you can't imagine your life without the answer that he gave you. Rather than try to fill your prayer life with ladders and mirrors and swings, fill it with food. Cultivate a life where you approach God with reverence. Would you, if you stand across this room today, all across this room, no one looking around. Maybe you're here today to say, Pastor, that's me. I struggle with reverence. I've been there. See, all these things I'll talk about today, I got one finger point at you and three back at me. One, two, three. I've done all, I've, I've struggled in all three of these areas. And I will tell you, as God settles this in my heart, he changes my prayer life. You might be saying, I struggle with reverence. God is my big buddy in the sky. And it's no wonder why I can't approach him when things are tough. Settle this. Maybe you need to go find a, a spot where you look at God's creation and say, that doesn't happen because of some big explosion. Because it doesn't. You need reverence in your life. Maybe that's, this morning, that's you. Again, heads bowed, eyes closed this morning. Maybe you need to remember God is a God of relationship. We, you say that all the time, God's a God of relationship, but it's not really deep down in your heart. And, and, and the, the depth, see, for me, it was that I thought every time I approached God's presence, he was as disappointed as me, in me as I was of myself. And all I heard when I prayed to God was I heard my voice of how disappointed I was in myself because, trust me, I was. And I thought that was the voice of God, and it wasn't. He dances over you. He rejoices over you. He loves you. I don't know how you came to know God. I don't know how you came to know the, the word Father. Maybe it was because your father was severe and difficult, maybe distant. And now that's how you approach God too. Not truth. How do I know? The word says it. How do I know? Because I'm settled on his on the father heart of God, and he's changed my heart. And I will never be the same what he has done in my life. Number three this morning, maybe you need to be settled that he has the resources to answer. And your prayers look a lot like you putting God on trial and saying, God, if you do this, then I'll believe you. And the problem is, is what you're asking for makes a ton of sense and is really good. Oh God, I need this. This would be so good. And you're right, it would be. And God is an answer in the time and the moment you think. And so because of that, you start to wonder. And you say, God, I don't know. 
This seems anticlimactic. It seems to make, to go against everything in our culture and our world. And the reason is because we have a sinful mind thinking and seeing God. You have to first settle this. God, I trust you and I believe you. Though the sky may fall, though, you, though I ask you for something and you never do it like I thought, think you will, it doesn't matter. My trust on you does not change. Faith is a currency of heaven, time and time again. You have to settle that. And then what's amazing, as God starts doing what you ask him to do. Church, your prayer life can be exhilarating. It can be awesome. But there are some basics you have to understand first. And it's not exciting mirrors, it's not exciting ladders, it's not exciting swings. Those can be good, those can be fun. But those aren't the meat that feeds the, the, the depth in your soul. To be with God. And to do what we'll find in verse 20. To believe him for exceedingly abundantly above whatever we should ask, think, or even pray. Jesus, this morning, would you lift your hands across this room? Say, Lord, if maybe, if you might have said, if you might have said in some way, God, one of these things are something in my life that I need you to invest in me and work in me. If that's you, say, raise your hand across the room. Say, God, I need this. Lord, I need reverence. Lord, I need relationship. Lord, I need to understand your resources. Whatever that might be, raise your hand. Say, God, this is me. I'm, a, I'm admitting today, God, that I don't have it together. I don't understand it. I don't have this to doubt. I have prayed. Lord, I have asked you for things. I've done something. And Lord, one of these things I have missed the boat on. I want to pray like you've called me to, though, Lord Jesus. Lord, even right now, minister in our lives. Don't wait until the end. Man, lift your voice. Lift your heart. Say, God, I need you. Lord, I need you this morning. Jesus, I pray that you would, Lord, invest in some lives this morning. Lord, invest in us to understand that, Lord, we approach you with reverence because you are awesome. Lord, let us know that we can approach you, Lord, with a relationship because you dance over us. And, Lord, remind us that, Lord, it doesn't matter what we ask for. It doesn't touch the, 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 the tip of your resources. And I pray, Lord, that you would work in us as we sing and just take a few moments today to allow you to minister. Lord, work in us these things today, we pray in Jesus' mighty name.